the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. They're taking the silver, the gold, the clothing, they're burying it, they're hoarding it, they're keeping it for themselves. They find another tent. This is the enlisted men's tent. They got the dessert buffet going here. They pull themselves up. Apple pie, deep dish, cobbler, tiramisu, tres leches, banana cream pie. They just start piling it all in. This is incredible. This is wonderful. Right about that time, as they're wiping the cherry cobbler off their face, they say to themselves, this isn't right. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about the sad state of affairs in Israel. The entire country is under siege, and even those who were once wealthy are starving to death. However, a group of lepers discover that the enemy's camp has been mysteriously abandoned. Instead of keeping the food and spoils of war for themselves, the lepers do the hard but honorable thing and tell the king. In today's message, Pastor Gary points out that we have inherited all the spoils that Jesus earned when he died for us on the cross. Therefore, it is our duty to share God's gift of eternal life with others. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message, We Can't Keep It to Ourselves. They had been living in rebellion against God, in opposition against God, and so God is putting the squeeze on them, and instead of the king humbling himself and saying, my ears have heard the most deplorable words, we need to humble ourselves and repent, what does he say? He says, that dirty Elisha, this is all his fault. The prophet Elisha, he blames Elisha the prophet instead of humbling himself. Well, now, imagine, go back to chapter 7 now, imagine that if this is how bad it has gotten for the people within the city who are basically middle and upper class people, now they've resorted to cannibalism of all things. Imagine then what it's like for people who are the lowest on the social ladder. And in particular in those days, the people who were the lowest of the low were lepers. And we talked a little bit about leprosy last week. Well, we talked a lot about it because it was the story of Naaman and the healing of Naaman. And I'm not going to rehash that whole thing about leprosy, only so much as to remind us that, again, leprosy is, it was not the result of sin, but it's a picture of sin. It does serve to paint a picture for us. 
that, that, that the diseased, incurable condition of a leper is very similar to all of us in that we have, a, we have a disease. There's an incurable condition. It's called sin. We need the Lord. He's the only cure and the only remedy. Now, in these days, of course, the lepers were, they were social outcasts. They were shunned. They were despised. They were quarantined. And so what we find here when we come to chapter 7, verse 1, is that we have four lepers, four men who are lepers, and they are at the gate of the city. Now, they're not inside the gate. They're outside. These are Israeli Jewish men who have leprosy, and there's this siege standoff going between the Syrians and the Israelites, and they have no place to go, these lepers. So, th- so I want you to picture them just kind of huddling under the archway of the city gate. They can't get in. They're not allowed in. They, they, can't, they can't go to the Syrians. They're just kind of stuck here in no man's land, just kind of huddling there under the archway of the, of the city gate. And they say to each other, you know what, we, we're going to die here. They say, you know, we, we need to get in the city gate. But then they realize well, that's never going to happen. They're never going to let us back in. First of all, because we have leprosy. Second of all, because there's a famine. They're eating their children in there. They're not going to give us any food. On a good day, all we got was a crust of bread. So certainly they're not going to open the gates and let us in. And they say to themselves, on the other hand, if we go over to the Syrian camp, they're liable to kill us because we're not Syrians. But what are we going to do here? So that what they realize is we might as well go to the Syrian camp. We can't get in the city. There's no food there. We might as well go to the Syrians, just kind of surrender. What's the worst that could happen? They'll kill us, but we'll die if we stay here anyway. So let's just go over to the Syrian camp. And so they do. The lepers are no threat to the Syrians. They let them live because, you know, they look at them as lepers and, you know, they're unarmed. They're no threat to us. The people within the city, you know, they don't have any regard for the lepers. So here they are. They're the social outcasts. They are diseased. They are despised, rejected, and they have no place to go and they're going to die. So they, they kind of, I get this picture kind of with a little trepidation here. They start to make their way over to the Syrian camp. What do we have to lose? We, we might die here, but we might as well go see if they've got food for us. And, and I just kind of see them approaching the Syrian camp here, just kind of tiptoeing. You know, hello, just, just four lonely lepers here. You know, don't shoot. You know, we don't, we don't mean any harm. We're, we're, we're not armed. We just want some food. And here they come. Just, you know, we surrender. We just, just kind of let us in. Just kind of creeping into the camp a little bit. It's a picture for me of how all of us come to God. You know, have you ever, have you ever, when you look back at how you got saved, I mean, wasn't it one of these moments where you're just like, okay, God, I'm coming out, you know, don't shoot. You know, I'm surrendering to you now. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, I've heard people talk about conversion experiences. and, And, you know, if you know the Lord, you have your own, you have your own story. But sometimes we dismiss other people's stories. You know, I've, I've heard from time to time people, for example, they'll talk about people in prison who get Jesus, who get saved, who have a conversion experience in prison. And people dismiss that. Like, well, that's, and you hear that term, well, that's just jailhouse religion. That's just jailhouse religion. Well, what other kind is there? Now, I mean, think about it. The fact of the matter is that that you and I came to Christ because there was a moment of our perceived need that converged with the love of God. 
And whether it was prison that brought that to the surface, or maybe a trial, or an illness, or a divorce, or a death, there are a lot of things that, that end up stirring our hearts to make us aware of our own perceived deep need for God, and then it is met, it converges with the love of God. So, yeah, jailhouse religion, sure, all of us have had some experience that exposes our deep need. These lepers know their deep need here, they come fully surrendered into the Syrian camp. It's a picture for me of just like the, how we come fully surrendered eventually to God when we understand our deep need. Now, they get here, they get here to the edge of the camp, and they kind of make their way up kind of the dirt siege ramp that's been built around the city of Samaria, and they crest over it, and they look, and then they just see a sea of tents of the Syrian army, just a sea of tents. But they, they look around and they say to themselves, this is kind of odd. There, there are no guards posted here at the siege ramp. This is kind of interesting. And they kind of creep in a little further. And what they notice is, it's like a ghost town. The horses and donkeys are tethered. They're all there like they should be. There's pots of food that are cooking under open fires. The tents are, are gently flapping in the breeze. There's Michael Buble being played on the sound system. <laughs> And they're walking in here, and it's a ghost to insert your favorite singer, whoever you want it to be. And so, and as they come into the camp, they're like, this place is deserted. It's empty. This is crazy. Now, what has happened is God has performed a miracle. The miracle that he performed was to make the Syrians think and hear the sound of an army. Look at verse 6 again in our story. Look at verse 6. It says, For the Lord had caused the Arameans, the Syrians, to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk. Notice this, the timing of the day, it's dusk. And abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Okay, this is the miracle God performs on behalf of the Israelites. He causes the Syrians to hear the sound of a great army. Now, it's interesting because if you couple that with something in chapter 6, it, it very likely could be the sound of an army of angels. There's a story in chapter 6 where Elisha sees an army of chariots of fire and horses, and so it's, it appears to be an army of angels. Perhaps then God causes this army of angels to be heard by the Syrians such that the Syrians then panic, they all go AWOL. They scatter. They leave their tents, they leave their possessions, their weapons, their valuables, their food, their water, everything. They just scatter completely. And these four unsuspecting lepers come walking in to this empty camp, and they inherit it all. They get everything. They get the weapons, the food, the clothes, the possessions, the, the water. Everything becomes theirs. Now, let me ask you something. Is this not a picture of what God has done for us? Here you have these lepers who are the most despised, diseased. They are the forsaken of their culture. And they just come in to what God has graciously and gloriously provided for them. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't contribute to it. They just received it. That's grace, because that's a picture of all of us. 
We come diseased, deformed, sick with sin to God, and all He wants to do is lavish upon us His goodness and His grace and His wonderful provision. We didn't do anything to earn it, contribute to it, provide for it, but God in His wonderful grace for us just lavishes it upon us. That's the end of Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 ends with the idea of a banquet where God, even in front of our enemies, will spread out this lavish banquet for us to feast, where goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Listen, that is a military term in the Hebrew. It doesn't mean to follow, come alongside of. It is a military term that means to pursue to pursue. Surely God's goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life because that's how much he loves us. Revelation 19 is also a picture. When Jesus Christ returns, Revelation 19 talks about the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. We are that bride. He is the groom, the church, waiting for that long coming reunion with Christ when he will spread out this wedding banquet feast for us and we will partake. We didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it, or contribute to it. But in his grace for us, he says, come and dine, feast, it's all yours. So here come these four lepers into the tents of these Syrians. Everybody's gone, but everything's been left for them. They see one tent that says officer's mess. They head there first because they know there's better food in the officer's tent. And they go into officer's mess. There it is. Oh, the banquet just spread out for them. They start eating fried chicken, mashed potatoes, green beans, collard greens, cornbread. They're southern Syrians. And they're just, oh, they're piling it in. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, look at this. They're throwing hush puppies in the air. They're, they're taking handfuls of lucky charms. They're dancing under it. Because after all, they are leprechauns. But anyway, uh, oh, uh, anyway. So it's 3,000 years ago, okay? And it's a cure today. Don't send me emails. But anyway, so here they are just enjoying this wonderful God has given them the victory given them the banquet their feasting possessions all of this look at what it says here in verse 8 middle of verse 8 they ate and drank and carried away silver gold and clothes and went off and hid them they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also so they're, they're running around these different tents. They're like, this is incredible. They're eating all the food. They're taking the silver, the gold, the clothing. They're burying it. They're hoarding it. They're keeping it for themselves. They find another tent. This is the enlisted men's tent. They got the dessert buffet going here. They pull themselves up. Apple pie, deep dish, cobbler, tiramisu, thrace, leches, banana cream pie. They just start piling it all in. This is incredible. This is wonderful. And right about that time, as they're wiping the cherry cobbler off their face, they say to themselves, this isn't right. This, this isn't right. We're, we're here gorging ourselves, feasting on the goodness of the Lord and His victory and all that He's given us. And all the while, there are people dying in this city. Our own people are dying in the city. While we're here stuffing our faces, gorging on the goodness of God. Look at verse 9. 
This is a key verse to this story. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Now notice again, the story takes place at dusk. If you have a King James Bible, it says at twilight. The sun is setting here. They realize after they've started to hoard the silver and the gold and, and enjoy the wonderful provision of the banquet and God's victory here, they realize this isn't right. This isn't right. We, we got to go tell people they're dying and, and we got to go, what does the end of verse 9 says, at once. We can't wait till daylight because people will die in the night. We got to go tell them this good news now. Let me tell you something, folks. Look, they realize we can't wait till morning. Morning is coming. There's going to be a great morning one day when God will roll back the sky and, and the clouds will recede like, a, like God removing a dirty tablecloth from the earth and he will be visible and the sound of his trumpet will, will be heard and, and we will defy gravity and rise to meet him in the air and so we shall be with the Lord forever. There is a great morning coming. But there are people who are going to die in the night between now and then if we don't tell them the good news. We have the wonderful victory of God through Jesus Christ on a cross handed to us. We are feasting at the table of the Lord. We are enjoying everything that he has given to us, offered us for free. We can't stay silent. This must be heard by others so that they can partake in the wonderful goodness of God that we are enjoying. This is critical. I heard a story about a man a while ago, a man who got saved at a men's conference. And uh, it was a, just a glorious transformation in his life. And in his testimony, he talked about how he went to go get his hair cut. He said, I've been going to the same barber for 15 years, maybe 20. He said, I sat up in the barber's chair and he said, you know, I'd just gotten saved and I couldn't help but tell him about it. He said, you know, I, I got all strapped into the chair and they put that thing around my collar and then the whole smock goes over me. And, and then as the barber's cutting my hair, the same guy's been cutting my hair for 15 years. He said, I turned to him and I said, listen, I just need to tell you the most exciting thing that's happened to me. I was just at a men's conference. I came to, to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I got saved. And you can know him too as your Lord and Savior. He said, that, that barber spun me around in the chair he, he said to me, I already know that. I know that. I know about Jesus and how to go to heaven. I've been going to church all my life. This guy in his testimony said, I took off that smock. I stood up out of that chair and I said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You've watched me drink my life away for 15 years. I've burned through two marriages. My ex-wives can't stand me. My kids don't even talk to me. And you knew this whole time you've known this good news and you never said a word to me? Let me tell you, when I heard that story, I thought to myself, am I that barber in somebody's life? Are you that barber in somebody's life? Somebody you've known for years, you hang out with, you fellowship, you work with, you've never shared with them the good news? When these four lepers come into this camp, 
where God had just graciously given them everything, they began to realize three things very quickly. And I'm just going to run them one, two, three, boom, boom, boom on the board here. So here we go. They realized three things. Number one, God has done a wonderful thing. They see it. This is a victory of the Lord. He's, he's given us all into our hands. God has done a wonderful thing. Second thing they realize is we can't hoard it to ourselves. We must share it with others. And the third thing they realize is there is an urgency to this because people are dying. We can't wait till the morning. We've got we to go now. Listen, folks, we, we are in the twilight hour right now. There are people in darkness living self-destructive, somewhat cannibalistic lives. They're, it's a self-destructive path that humanity is on. They desperately need to hear the good news. And if you know it, don't hoard it. Don't keep it to yourself. Get out there, share it, talk about it. Tell people about the good news of Jesus. Share about the love of Christ. I get it. Some people will say, that's uncomfortable for me. You know, I feel somewhat awkward. There's a, there's a little discomfort in all of us. There, I understand that because, you know, none of us want to come across as a salesman. You know, no disrespect to the salesman in the house. But, you know, we don't want to sound like we're trying to sell somebody and strong arm them and convince. Why don't you, you know, and you need this and get preachy. And we're always trying to find that balance, you know, between love and truth and you know, we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to backpedal on the truth, but we don't want to sound so sloppy agape that somebody just feels comfortable in their sin. So we're always trying to find this, and, it's, and it can be difficult. But we have to recognize the urgency of the hour that there are people dying within the city. You know, sometimes, sometimes somebody will say, you know, Johnny, this guy that I've been working with for years, he, he, he lost his job, so I don't work with him anymore, lost his job. And then after that, he, because of that, he lost his house. Then he found out that his wife was cheating on him. Then he started drinking. He's been drinking so much, his liver is like a stone. I don't think he has any other friends except me. That's great. Why don't you go witness to him, share Jesus with him? Nah, nah, I don't want to run him off. He's already off. He's off. We have a responsibility to go to the ones who are off and bring them into the glorious banquet that we've been feasting at for years. Because we need to understand the importance and the significance of what God has done for us and then have this desire to share with other people. I will tell you, when people say things like, I don't want to run somebody off, I don't want to offend them, what they're really saying is, I care more about what they think of me than their eternal salvation. That's really what we're saying when we say things like that. I care more about what someone will think of me if I start talking about Jesus and sharing the good news than I do their eternal salvation. These three things challenge me from this story. If we can all recognize God has done a wonderful thing for us, sends His Son Jesus, die on a cross, offers for us forgiveness of sins, eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. If we understand that, if we enjoy that, if we feast on that, then we have an obligation and a privilege not to hoard it, but to share it. And there needs to be an understanding of the urgency of the hour because there are people dying within the city. So may we be challenged in the same way. And may God help us to just be His vessels. We don't have to overcomplicate the gospel. We don't have to know, you know, ten memorized verses in order to share our faith. We just need to simply open up our mouths and say the simple things like, you know what? A few years ago or recently or whenever, I came into a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you like to know about Jesus? 
What's the worst they can say? No. Okay. But if they say yes, and you share with them what you've been feasting on, you've just invited them to partake of the best and most glorious thing in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God has done a wonderful thing. It's so good we can't hoard it, we must share it. And the urgency of the hour demands that we don't put off tomorrow what we should do each day as God guides and directs us to share the good news and the love of Jesus Christ. We're glad you joined us today as we follow Israel's tumultuous history in the book of 2 Kings. We continue to discover important passages such as Elijah passing on the mantle of prophecy and leadership to Elisha and see God continue mighty works through his prophet. Great and wondrous signs were done in this time, and yet the kings of Israel and Judah did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. Their disobedience has resulted in invasion, defeat, and exile. Even there, God showed up, remaining faithful to his people and not allowing them to be completely destroyed. We love walking through the story of God's people with you and would love to connect with you even more. We meet together every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. But if you can't join us there, feel free to sign up for our podcast or download our mobile app. You'll find links to both of these online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also find additional resources to help you in your own study of the Word, as well as more information about Cornerstone Connection. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you tune in again as Pastor Gary continues to teach through 2 Kings on the next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.